Good morning. morning. Well, thank you, Christian, for that uh, scripture reading. It's uh, our young future pilot there. And uh, ladies, that was absolutely beautiful. Very nice. And Alina, your children's story. Now I know what happened to the lawn. (laughs) So, uh, but anyway, um, I ask for your your prayers this week. Um, Tomorrow I have my first service with the men at the prison who will be having worship. And next week, uh, uh, communion, which they haven't had for years. And uh, so I look forward to ask your prayers there. A lot of good contacts this week. I'm still not, still under training, so I don't have a set of keys just to walk around. But I know it's going to be important to visit people in solitary confinement who have almost no contact with people and, and other people there. They just, people need that. They need human contact. And they need people to encourage them. And uh, what a blessing that we can be an encouragement to one another here and to people out there. That gives us a much better opportunity to reach people with uh, present truth. Well, anyway, it's good to be back, and uh, let's spin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, we know that Jesus is coming soon. We know that the battle's been won, but between today and then, we know there will be some major movements happening in our world. We pray that uh, we'll all continue to work with the Holy Spirit in our preparation for the days ahead. But may we always walk by faith, knowing that the victory is won. So help us to always just stay close to you and growing each day. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue on our, our study on, on the, the Battle of Armageddon, which is where everything is heading. The whole world is marshalling, marshalling to that period of time. But there's a period of time that's actually more important than the day of Armageddon. Because that's the sixth plague. What people really need to be preparing for is to make their life right with God before Jesus leaves the most holy place. Because the Battle of Armageddon, it's, it's a mute point in a way, right? Every case has already been decided. And yet it's such a major topic in our world. But what's more important is what Jesus is doing right now. And we're probably the only church that actually talks about Christ in a heavenly sanctuary, when he walks out of the most holy place, every case is decided for eternity. And then the battle of Armageddon is not far down the road after five plagues before it. But we will finish up and we want to talk about what the world's going to be looking like as we marshal towards that that battle. And so we had discovered in our previous readings that um, the popular teaching of the Chinese coming out of the east and drying up the Euphrates simply, simply to attack the state of Israel is not really what scripture says. It says the sixth angel poured out his vial on the great river Euphrates and the waters of air were dried up. So it's, it's heaven drying up those waters. But as we saw, those waters don't represent literal water. It represents the support of what will predominantly the papacy, but what we're going to discover today is there, there's a threefold union. The papacy isn't doing this by itself. The Bible talks about a threefold union of powers together that marshal the world to that day. Okay, And we read it right here in verses 13 through 16. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. That's one. Out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Those are the threefold union. 
For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty. Before I read the rest of that, you have the dragon, the beast, and a false prophet, which we can identify as three earthly powers. But do you notice that the devil's involved in this, right? These evil angels are completely involved in this. We just read it. And for they are the spirits of devils doing what? Because that's what it's going to take to get the world to really collapse on God's people around the world. People are going to need to be deceived. Okay? And there's going to be a lot of deception going on. We're kind of living in deception time right now. But there's going to be things that are going to start happening that will be exponential to what's happening today. Okay? Blessed is he that watches. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be watching, keeping our garments, right? Having on the breastplate or the, the, the cloth of Christ's righteousness, his garment. Lest he walk naked, they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So the threefold union is the dragon. As we look at that, uh, the dragon is Satan, primarily, right? Uh, but before the devil used the beast power, Romanism, the Catholic Church, he used spiritualism. He used all those pagan religions, right? There was God's people in the world, and there was all these previous powers that had pagan religions. Uh, and then when that didn't work, pagan Rome didn't work, he set up papal Rome. And so the devil then stepped into the church to try to destroy the truth. And when that isn't working, he steps into the false prophet, which is Protestantism, you see? So now the devil's really got his hand in all three major unions of religion around the world, which he's endeavoring to pull them all together in a threefold union against those who have the truth. It's those he's used in the past and those he's really trying to destroy today, which is these Protestant churches. Well, let's go on and read in this verse. This is a, a book, Maranatha. How many have that devotional book? Okay, not too many of you. It's a daily devotional. I encourage you to get a copy. There's some places we can talk after Sabbath where you can get a, a nice used copy. Um, and a lot of these statements in Maranatha, it's uh, Maranatha means the Lord is coming. So it's a book about the coming of the Lord. And each, each, each month has a little different flavor of talking about the coming of the Lord. Now, if you get in this July section, which is probably my favorite month in it, it says, by the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation of the law of God, our nation, the United States, will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. Notice the three. When Protestantism shall stretch forth her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, number two, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with what? Spiritualism. When under the influence of what? This threefold union. That's the threefold union. Protestantism, apostate Protestantism, Catholicism, and spiritualism. It says it right there. And anyway, we just read it in the scriptures. Uh, our country will repudiate every principle of, the, of, a, of its constitution at a Protestant and Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know that the end is near. So before we turn to the next one, two principles, Protestantism and Republicanism. Our constitution is based on Protestantism, not favoring enforcing religion, but Protestantism as a principle means 
that you don't need a pope or some human intermediary between you and God. You can go to God directly yourself, which makes us a Protestant nation because our Constitution doesn't support the state or anyone to be your mediator. You are free to go to God yourself. That's not enforcing Protestantism. Protestantism is a principle. The principle that you can, as an individual, be directly in connection with God yourself. You don't need a priest or someone to be that connecting link for you. Okay? Uh, Republicanism is the idea that you can govern yourself. You don't need a king. And it used to be in old times, the thought was men can't govern themselves. They're not smart enough. They'd make too many mistakes. And so you have to have a king. You can't govern yourself. You need a king over you to tell you what to do. But the United States Constitution says no. Men are able to govern themselves. They're able to vote in people who are their representatives to protect everybody's rights and do the business of the people and for the people. Okay? And so on those two principles is the United States Constitution. But once you pass a Sunday law and enforce religion, you just destroy those two principles. Because now you're telling people how to worship, that they're not capable of making that decision themselves. That the state has to do it for them and actually enforce it. And that's why it destroys these principles. The very principles, this is the foundation of our Constitution. So the threefold union we saw so far, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, those three. And those are the three biggest entities in our world. Protestant America is the world's mightiest nation that there's ever been. And you cannot have a new world order without the United States. Okay? And then there's the papacy, which has over a billion people as adherents. It's in, it has libraries. It's involved in probably every government in the United States. It's got all kinds of money and political clout. Okay? All around the world. And those two together control a great part of the world, but the devil still knows that he needs spiritualism. He still needs all those pagan religions as well. To join together, okay? That's what the devil's up to right now. We go on on the same page in the book of Maranatha. Through the two great heirs, how many? And you'll see I have two great heirs plus one, okay? We'll see that in a little bit. Through the two great heirs, the immortality of the soul, believing that when people die, they don't really what? They actually don't die. They just go on either to heaven or hell and communicate with the living. So on the two great heirs, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, and by the way, probably 30% of Americans believe they've already spoken to someone who's died, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach across or over the abyss to Last, the hand of the Roman power, and under the influence of the what? Now see, we find that same threefold union, which is the dragon, the beast, and a false prophet, or spiritualism, Protestantism, and a false Protestantism, and Catholicism. Um, and falling and influenced by this threefold union, this country will fall in the steps of Rome in its past, right? And trampling the rights of conscience, which is exactly what happened in the past. Everybody with me? 
So if we look at this as we add just a little um, uh, summation, we have the three, the three great, there are two great heirs, but the revelation points out three. That's why I have two plus one. The worship of the beast would be spiritualism. If you worship any human entity, you're worshiping things that are created by man. And spiritualism, by definition, is when you actually follow men instead of following God. That's really the, the basis of spiritualism. But people don't live very long. And so when you start worshiping Nimrod and people who've already died, then that's actually a belief in that people don't really die, right? They go on and live and they make gods out of these people and they, they worship them. Um, and placing things that are human institutions above God's institutions. But we have the mark of the beast, which is clearly and specifically, right, the National Sunday Law or Sunday sacredness. The image of the beast is that third heir. And we're going to look at this in a little bit, but that third heir keeps cropping up in prophecy. What the world hasn't always believed, but maybe predominantly depends on the part of the world, is the idea that religion has to be enforced. That somehow the state has to enforce religion, which would be new to our country, at least more present. We had the enforcement of religion in colonial times in America, where people were literally forced to pay a tax to support religion. You couldn't get away from supporting religion. So we had church and state back in colonial times. And it wasn't until the revolution of 1776 in our Constitution that this country made a determination that we're not taxing people anymore for religion. It's not right. Uncle Jesus doesn't need Uncle Sam. He can take care of his own church. So we're not going to tax people and support a religion. And that's how we had got separation of church and state. And everybody was accountable for themselves and their relationship with God. They were completely free. And you can read that in just about every state constitution from 1776 on. Okay? But what we're told is we'll trample those very principles and, again, enforce religion, which will be the mark of the beast. And then there's the image of the beast. But before you can pass and enforce a Sunday law that penalizes people, you first have to believe in the concept that church and state ought to go together. And this is what's being taught by Marjorie Green and other people who are Congress people currently, and this is their argument, the church ought to control the state instead of the state control the church. And people listen to that and they say, well, that makes sense. But it's a false argument. You know why it's false? Because neither one's supposed to control the other. The church isn't to control the state and the state's not to control the church. They're separate. So, but people are buying into this. They're not thinking through this issue. They're buying in. Yeah, it'd be better if the church controlled the state than the state controlled the church. But it's a false argument. Neither one's supposed to control the other. So what I want to do is look in various uh, scriptures in Revelation and see how these three are brought up together. The two great errors plus the image of the beast. I saw thrones. They sat upon them. Judgment was given unto them. Saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast. That's number one. Neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. So we have the threefold union of the dragon beast false prophet, which is spiritualism, Catholicism, apostate Protestantism, 
But we also have three unclean teachings. We have a threefold union of powers that will be formed together based on three false concepts. Does that make sense? Because between Catholicism and Protestantism, they're not going to agree on everything. The devil's only trying to get them to agree on three things. That's all he has to do. If he can get them all to agree on the immortality of the soul, so that demons can personate people and say we've all been keeping Sunday in heaven. If he can get them to agree on Sunday sacredness, which they predominantly already do. If he can get them to agree, and this is what's happening right now in politics, if he can get them to agree that the church the, or the state should enforce the doctrines and dogmas of the church like Sunday, then he can get them all together on the same page based on just agreeing on three things. You see? He doesn't have to get them to agree on everything because that's not going to happen. He only has to get them to agree on three things. So we'll take a little bit of a look at that. So here are the three heirs. Let me do, we're just going to look through the chapters of Revelation and see how these three heirs keep propping up. The exercise of power of the first beast before him causeth the earth, them which dwell therein, to worship the first beast, heir number one. He had power to give life unto the image of beast, heir number two. He causeth all to receive a mark in his hand, heir number three. You see that? So Revelation 24 talked about all three. Revelation 13 talks about all three. This is Revelation 14, the next chapter. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man, heir number one, worship the beast, heir number two, his image, and receive his mark, heir number three. You see that? These are all repeated through Revelation because those are the three unclean teachings that will be bringing three major, threefold union together to lead us to Armageddon. This is what it's all based on. Now, verse 15. I saw as it were see a glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast. Over his image and over his mark. All three. But also over his name. So there actually is a number four there. Okay. Now, verse chapter 16. The first beast went poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a newsome and grievous sore upon the men which had... The mark of the beast, there's an heir, and upon them a worship of his image, heir number two. But then you get all three in verses 13. I saw three unclean spirits. Three unclean spirits. Turn to your Bibles to 1 John 4, 1. 1 John 4, 1. Alina gave me this Bible because I had to take my Bible to the prison. And I have to leave it there because I can't bring things in and out. Thank you, honey. Very nice. <laughs> so in First John 4, 1, we want to see a use of the word spirit. What would be three unclean spirits? Beloved, believe not every... In other words, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every teaching that you hear. But try the spirits. Be a Berean. Study it out, right? Study it in your Bible, whether they're of God. Is that right? Because all that matters is what God says. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we've been forewarned that false prophets will give false information. There'll be a mixture of truth and error. But try the spirits. Try the teachings. So when you have the idea of spirits being teachings, now you look at this verse. And I saw three unclean 
spirits or teachings. I saw three unclean teachings come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. You see what the devil's trying to do, because with your mouth you teach, you speak. But the only reason I'm saying these words is because they're in my, my heart, they're in me. And so when you get the dragon saying the same three errors and the bee saying the same three erroneous beliefs and the false prophet, he's able to get them on the same page to do something as drastic as the battle for Armageddon. And you start thinking, how is it possible to get the whole human family to do something so terrible as to persecute those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Jesus, Right? But that's how far we've sunken as a human family. Isn't that right? You see it every day. The things that people believe in, you're just shaking your head. But you know, I probably believe those same things before I studied the Bible. You know, we're all in a process of learning and growing. And this is why we have to have patience with people. Here's the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's not just patience to endure what's coming at us. It's patience with people. You have to be patient with people because they may not accept the Sabbath the first time you share it with them. They may not accept the faith of Jesus the first time you share it with them. Jesus had preached to his disciples what his kingdom was like from the day one. My kingdom is not of... My kingdom is like unto a mustard seed. My kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like that. But it's not of this world. And for three years they kept thinking, it's of this world, it's of this world, it's of this world. And we want to be number one. Who's going to sit at your right hand? And they argued that all the way up to the Lord's Supper. Just before he's going to die. He taught them for three years and they didn't get it. You know how they overcame it? He washed their feet. He didn't do it by words. He did it by an action. He served them. And once he bent down and he washed their feet, Ellen White says they never argued who would be the greatest again. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes when you share truth, you can't just do it with words. You have to serve people. You've got to love people. You've got to meet their needs. That's what opens their heart to say, you know, this person has something I don't have. And then they're more likely to listen to what you have to say. You know what they say, I may not believe everything you say, but I'll believe everything you do, all right? So three shared heirs, the image of the beast, the uniting of church and state, or the idea that government, there should be government-sponsored religion. And that is very, this is what's infiltrating the Protestant churches right now. But most of these churches believed in the separation of. And what's being preached now, if you can look it up, dominion theology. Look it up on the internet. Dominion theology is the belief that Christ won't come back until the churches actually control the government. That's completely the opposite of separation of church and state. The devil has to get that in the heads of the Protestants to get a Sunday law to enforce it. Okay, to lead to the battle of Armageddon. 
The mark of the beast is the mark of the first beast of papacy, which she herself claims is Sunday sacredness. So the devil's got to get everybody on that page. And then the worship of the beast, the idea of worshiping a creature, belief in the immortality of the soul, and, and the foundation of spiritualism is found in all these pagan religions. So let's take the threefold union, one by one, Catholicism. Does Catholicism believe in the image of the beast, believe in enforcing religious laws? Yes, it does, doesn't it? Well, there's 1,260 years of proof of that. Does the mark of the beast, do they believe in the mark of the beast? Do they believe in Sunday sacredness? Yes, they do. Do they believe in the worship of the beast? Do they believe in the immortality of the soul? Okay? So Catholicism's already there, right? What about apostate Protestantism? Do they believe in enforcing religious laws? Some do more than others. But friends, that's exactly the day we're living in right now. The devil knows he can't pull this off until he can get Protestant churches to believe that the state should enforce religion. Some of these churches are ready to vote on it right now, all in favor of it. Others aren't quite there yet. This is all we're waiting for, essentially. Just think about it. Because they already believe in Sunday, don't they? They already believe in immortality of the soul, don't they? The one thing that he's still working on their mind with, you have to believe that we can enforce religion and we're doing it for the best of society. Okay? What about spiritualism or the other pagan religions? Do some of these religions believe in enforcing religion? Yeah, you know, in a lot of Muslim countries, they would believe in that, certainly, right? Sharia law and things like that. Um, but even then, there's going to probably need to be some work. I'm not familiar with all the various religions, but most nations have been ruled by religious powers to some extent. Uh, we live in a little bit more modern age where people believe a little bit more in freedom. But this is the last straw that needs the devil needs to do, is convince people the state needs to enforce religion. Because does... Paganism generally believe in Sunday sacredness. Where did Romanism get it from? The world was already sun worshippers, right? They got it from the pagan world. What about the immortality of the soul? Do they believe in that? Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so what we're really waiting for, Catholicism already believes in all three. Protestantism is almost 100% there. Mostly just working on one of those, church and state. Paganism believes definitely in the two great heirs, working on that third one. That's, all, that's where we're at, friends. That's where we're at. Let's read a little more from Maranatha. I want us to think about what the world looks like a little bit leading up to the seven last plagues. Because once the plagues start falling, things are going to change. Okay. On July 1 in uh, Maranatha, um, papists, Protestants, and worldlings. That sounds like three, a threefold union, right? Okay. Will alike accept the form of godliness without the power, and they will see in this union a grand movement for the conversion of the world and the ushering in of the long-expected millennium. Do all three of those, Catholicism, Protestantism, and the worldlings, do they all, are they all together now believing in the long expected millennium? 
Maybe to some extent, but I, I haven't personally heard that yet. This is mostly something that's taught within Protestant circles. I've not really heard this much in Catholic circles. Or people are just worldlings out there. But we're probably not far from it because I don't think we're far from the second coming. But you know, the devil's going to do things to infiltrate in people's minds this concept of a thousand years of peace. Is it already being preached? Absolutely. So people are anticipating things are going to happen in our world that people think we're marshalling towards this thousand years of peace, which is exactly why we're going to look so bad because they think they're just that far away from it and we're the reason why it's not happening because we're not on the same page with them in the Sunday law. Notice the next statement. He had two horns like a lamb. He spake as a dragon. Though professing to be followers of the Lamb of God, men become imbued with the spirit of the dragon. They profess to be meek and humble, but they speak and legislate with the spirit of Satan, showing by their actions that they are the opposite of what they profess to be. This lamb-like power unites with the dragon in making power upon those who keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Satan unites with Protestants and Papists. That's an interesting statement. Acting in consort with them as the God of this world, dictating to men as if they were the subjects of his kingdom to be handled and governed and controlled as he pleases. So that's why I brought up earlier the dragon of beast and a false prophet or spiritualism, Catholicism, Protestantism are basically human institutions. And I had asked or said the dragon is actually involved in all this, right? He's leading all this. But this makes it sound like they're actually following him. Something's happening where Satan's directly leading them, right? They don't know that he is, but he is. And the way we know that he is, not by the outside of them professing to be humble, we know the devil's leading them because they're doing what? They're going to pass a law that penalizes people for breaking something. You see? And we know that no matter what everything else they're doing, maybe false healings, things like that, that could deceive us to think it is of God. But it can't be because it can't be the Spirit of Christ if you penalize someone for believing something different. Does that make sense? That is. See, we're, as America, we're a beast with lamb-like horns that doesn't look like a dragon. It looks like a lamb. But it speaks as a dragon. This final movement will look Christian, but it speaks legislatively as, as a dragon. Anyone who's on the side of enforcing a Sunday law that takes away someone's religious liberty, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what they profess, it's still the spirit of the dragon. Does that make sense? <clears throat> this statement continues. We need not be deceived. Wonderful scenes with which Satan will be closely connected will soon take place. God's word declares that Satan will work miracles. He will make people sick and then suddenly remove them from his satanic power. They will then be regarded as healed. These words of apparent healing, not true, will bring who? Isn't that interesting? 
It'll bring Seventh-day Adventists to the test. Which tells me that as a people, we're going to stand alone. You know, you see people's t-shirts, be against the world. Well, in a way, it's kind of true. We'll be us against the world in a way. That's why people have to come out of the fallen churches. But it brings us to the test because some Seventh-day Adventists will see all these healings in front of this church down the road and believe, well, it can't be of Satan because people are apparently healed. Right? But we have to know, all we need to know is whether they're a part of not the healing, not the apparent healing. All we need to know is what side are they on of the Sunday law? Are you in favor of punishing people because they don't believe just like you? It won't matter to me what I see. It's where they stand on the Sunday law. Because those are two different spirits. The spirit of a person who's willing to honor God in the face of persecution and those who would persecute people because they don't believe just like they do. Those are two different spirits. No matter what's happening on the outside. Understand that? Yep. I saw, let's see, many who have great light will fail to walk in the light because they have not become one with Christ. Still probably talking about Adventists. This is why we preach the message of righteousness by faith. It's not enough to know which days this happened. It's not enough to know what happens when a person dies. We need to learn what it means, not just to believe in a historical Jesus, but to be one with Christ. Being one with Christ is Christ in me. Not just me admiring Christ, but Christ in me, where I'm becoming more like Jesus day by day because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to water the seed of Jesus in me. And Jesus continues to grow in me. I become more patient, more loving, more forgiving, more understanding. Because Christ, just like Jesus was in Mary's womb growing, Jesus can be in me growing, right? Same Holy Spirit, same seed, but now in me. And that's how I can look at what's happening in the world and not be deceived, but to realize that the only thing God's asking me to do is not to be political, but to be holy, to love righteousness, to just obey him. You know, that's a full-time job. You know? The next says, I saw our people in great distress, weeping. There's going to be a lot of weeping in Adventism. A lot of praying. Pleading the sure promises of God. While the wicked were all around us, mocking us and threatening to destroy us. They ridiculed our feebleness. They mocked at the smallness of our numbers. Taunted us with words calculated to cut deep. They charged us from taking an independent position from all the rest of the world because the whole rest of the world has received the mark of the, the beast. And we're still wanting to receive the seal of God. Those are two different things. 
How could you be God's people? Look at you. This is what they're going to say to us in the end. You can't be God's people because, number one, there's not that many of you. You can't be God's people because, well, you can't even buy and sell. If you were God's people, wouldn't he take care of you? Would you be so emaciated and so hungry and pleading and this and that? If you were God's people, isn't that what the devil told Jesus when he was in the wilderness? How could you be God's son? If you were God's son, you wouldn't be hungry. So just turn these stones into bread. But Jesus knew he was God's son. Because before he went out there, his father said, Thou art my son in whom I am well pleased. And this is what you're going to have to remember. No matter what's happening in the world, never forget these words. Here are they. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Don't ever forget those words. No matter what happens in the world, it's not what the world says about you. It's what how God, how he defines you. It's what he says about you. And if you keep the commandments of God by the faith of Jesus, you belong to God. You don't belong to the world, no matter if the world says, you people are taking such an independent stand. Well, praise God we're taking an independent stand because we're dependent upon God. They're the ones that are taking an independent stand. Independent from God. And not dependent upon God. That's the problem. And I think in a way, when we weep and we cry, it shouldn't really even just be for ourselves. It should be for others. Because once they pass the Sunday law, there's not going to be that many Sundays left. And if they don't get on the right side, they're going to be lost. Let's continue on this quote here. This is what really kind of deceives them. They had cut, they had cut off our resources so that we could not buy and sell. And referred to our abject poverty and stricken condition. They could not see how we could live without the world. This is exactly why they're going to try to boycott us to force us into taking the mark of the beast. We were dependent upon the world, they thought, and we must concede to its customs, practices, and the laws of the world, or go out from it, that we would die. We were the, if, if we were the only people in the world whom the Lord favored, the appearances were awful against us. Now notice this. They declared that they had what? And that miracles were among them. That even this, notice this, that angels from heaven, what? Actually were talking with them. Um, and walked with them. The great power and signs and wonders were performed among them. And that this, notice that word, was. The world's going to get to a point where there will be such spiritualism that demons will pretend to be angels from heaven and talk with these false religious leaders and they'll look at that as if they're on the right side and had all the right information. I've met people like that. I met people who spoke in ecstatic tongues, which is a non-human language. And I said, well, what did you learn from that? Well, I learned that we go straight to heaven or hell right away. And so the devil is able to teach people through false communication, anything he wants. And they'll believe it. Because 
It was through speaking in tongues or it's through some false miracle. They'll believe it because they think it's true. And this is why the devil has to really kind of pull it off this way. But they will think that this was past tense. It looks as if there's going to come a time where some are going to look that we're just that close to it. And some says we've already started it. But, you know, this isn't the first time in history among Protestants in this country that believe that. Back in around the 1850s, they thought we were in this temple millennium when we had the Industrial Revolution and, boy, the cotton gin, you know, things like that. They thought, man, the world's never been so blessed. And then there was the rumblings of a civil war. You know the hymn, My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. They thought they were entering into the temporal millennium. That's where that song comes from. And then came the Civil War. And 40,000 die in Chancellorsville. Tens of thousands at Gettysburg. And it's like, wow, we must not be in the temporal millennium, right? But we're moving in this direction where people think we're in it. Okay? And this is an important idea which they had been expecting so long. The whole world was converted and in harmony with the Sunday law. And this little feeble people stood out in defense of the laws of the land and the laws of God and claimed to be the only ones right on the earth. This is where the world's culminating to. And then the plague start falling. Imagine their mentality. They think they are in this temple millennium And then the first plague falls. What are you going to be thinking if you're on that side? You already think you're. You already think you're right. I mean, you're thinking angels, true heavenly angels, are talking with you. You think you're actually walking with heavenly angels. And then the first plague falls, and the only reason you're thinking it's fallen is because there's just this little group of people who are independent from the world. That's exactly what's going to happen, friends. And they're not going to like us because they could taste this temporal millennium. They could taste it. And then the first plague falls. Wow. Look at the second plague. The sea becomes blood. Now, I think Ellen White, I think, makes it pretty clear to me anyway that the first four plagues are not universal. But even if half the water, half the seas, half the ocean became blood, what does that do to their concept of the temporal millennium? Right? This is where everything's going to lead to this battle of Armageddon. They're going to get to the point they can't wait to get rid of this people. Because they were there or almost there, and these plagues just are adding fuel. The third plague. The rivers. The streams become blood. The sun scorches the earth. What's the hottest day you've ever been in? Anybody want to say 129. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, 129 in Cleveland. My, that's uh, Arizona. But someday, it'll probably be 139 in Cleveland. Right? Well, that's what the fourth plague's talking about. You were either in the temporal millennium or very close. How do you get a feel? And all that's keeping you from getting back to that glorious mentality there is just this little group of people. 
What are you thinking right now? You're thinking, I'm going to agree with this death penalty. Right? People aren't quite there yet, but they're going to get there. And then darkness actually does cover the earth under the fifth plague. I don't know how all, none of the, when you get to the first plague and then to the second, they still have the first plague. They're accumulative. The world's going to be at the mentality they have to get rid of these people. And all the devil has to do is to get them to agree on what? Sunday? Belief in the immortality of the soul? How hard will that be if they already think they're speaking to the dead? Right? Wow. They have to get them to believe in meshing church and state. That's where we're at. And so it does become important for us to not just tell people about the Sabbath. Uh, Tell people about the resurrection. We need to read up and defend religious liberty for everybody. We will save some. We won't save them all. But we'll help people get on the right side if we preach three great truths. When the world's culminating together on three great errors. I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against who? Ultimately, it's against Christ that sat on the horse and against his armies. Jesus is on his way. The beast is taken with him, the false prophet. So again, you've got the threefold union. You've got maybe said a little different, the beast, the false prophet, that is the same. But the third is, is described as the kings of the east, or of the earth, I'm sorry. And wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and then that Worship is in me. So two of the three great heirs is there. And we'll just finish up with these last couple slides. We know what's coming. There's a threefold union. And they're going to agree on three great heirs. But I don't want us to dwell on it. What we need to think about is who's coming. Christ is coming also. Isn't that right? For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of, Lord, of, of God be, or Son of Man be. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth, uh, from the, for one end of the earth to the other. So if I go back to this and maybe conclude here. The devil is trying to get the world here. His hope is to wipe out all who believe in God faithfully because he knows that if this happens, the second coming, it's too late. Is that right? He gathers the world against God's people here and Christ is coming to gather his people from the four corners of the earth. Two gatherings. The devil has to have his gathering first. If Christ has his gathering, the saints is too late. And he does it just right up to the last second, which tells you that he will never give up this struggle against God. It's what he lives for, and it's tragic. And we have to be just the opposite. Jesus is the one we live for. Isn't that right? And while we know this is coming, we even know who the three major powers are. We know what the three great heirs are. That doesn't mean there aren't other erroneous things in the world. 
But those are the three great ones that tie everybody together. Which tells us we need to study those and to study the truth about those three topics to help people. So let's get into our Bibles. There's a lot of good resources, Bible readings for the home, a lot of things that talk about um, books. Let us study together by um, who? Mark Finley. There's a lot of good resources out there of sharpening our skills. How would I share with someone about the true day of worship? How would I share with someone about what really happens when a person dies? And what can I share with them about religious liberty? And if we become really sharp on those three, there will be people that will wind up on the right side and enjoy eternity. And it's all worth it, isn't it? So let us do all that we can to understand these things for ourselves and in a way that we can share them with people because, you know, friends, this is a real battle. It's going to happen. And it's already, everything's already moving towards Armageddon. Okay? Before our closing uh, prayer, our closing, we'll have our closing in. Just a reminder that all are welcome to our fellowship meal afterwards. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a wonderful work ahead of us. What a privilege to give the last gospel call to the world. Help us, Father, to seek for the lost, seek for those who know you not. And we would ask that you would bring people in our lives that we may be a blessing. To share words that are eternal, that are your words. Help us, Father, to be used in your service. Use us, we pray. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.